If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. And hello, welcome to Unequal Sequel. My name is Dave, and I'm one of your two hosts of this blistering podcast. <laughs> and I'm Rich, and I'm the other host of this blistering podcast. Think of me as Billy to Dave's gizmo. He's small and cute and fuzzy, and I never feed him after midnight. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't. Uh, the premise of Unequal Sequel is very simple. We ask our guests their best ever sequel, their worst ever sequel, and finally their dream sequel. And of course, we often drift off and talk about other things, not just movies, but, you know, life in general. I should also point out, we do love to delve into spoilers of movies, new and old. So if we mention a movie you haven't seen and you don't want it spoiled, just go out in the garden, grab a pot, put a plant in it, water it, come back in, we'll be over. And it'll be all right. Because on today's episode, we are joined by Dominic Diamond. Ah, so excited. Dominic Diamond is a 90s hero. Absolute hero to both me and Dave. Uh, You might recognise him as the presenter of Games Master. Um, he, if you are off of the '90s, like we both were, we, we both are, or you might maybe have heard him read his column uh, all about computer games. If you're an adult gamer, he's got loads of stuff for you. But he's a brilliant guy, and me and Dave were really excited to talk to him. Yeah, very excited to sit down with Dominic and chat all things sequels with him. These are Dominic Diamond's unequal sequels. Enjoy. <laughs> We do have a quick question just to warm up your mind that we always ask every guest. And it is, what is the first sequel you got excited about? Do you remember that? Oh, I think it's probably the same as a lot of people. Empire Strikes Back. Um, you know, I've, that was the age I was. I was seven when Star Wars came out. Uh, blew, absolutely blew my mind. Uh, so um, but Empire Strikes Back, I was so excited. I actually read the um the i'm pretty sure the book version came out first and yeah. i remember reading mm. that so all that kind of i am your father thing was actually a bit spoiled for me oh. um and uh and i've now just spoiled it for the one person out there who's not seen <laughs> that worse. um but yeah so that was it definitely empire strikes back and it did not i hate hate sequels that don't end finish the movie give us a movie with a beginning a middle and end don't just fluff us for the third one that really annoyed me about june recently i was just like oh come on you've stopped halfway through so yeah you know i think more and more i i I get irritated by empire because it doesn't end properly but you didn't have that problem when you were seven though did you no 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 (laughs) just like man he's got his hand cut off How's he going to fight with one hand? That was basically yeah. it. That was Brilliant. my thing. And oh no, Han Solo's dead, and he's the cool guy. 
you know, and then I was just really confused with, did he, he kissed the sister? And I was like, yeah, I, even though I'm only seven, I know that's a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> even, in, even on the East coast of Scotland where people marry their sisters. So. <laughs> so, so at that point, if you watched Star Wars, you knew what was going on. You were all up to date. I've watched Star Wars about eight times in the, in the cinema. I mean, just, I, I, I went, I think there was one time I watched it like on a Saturday and a Sunday. Uh, it was just I was, it was the first movie that I was completely obsessed with, and it was really interesting when um you just keep, you keep me I kept meeting people throughout my career who were as obsessed. I remember when uh like Ash became one of my favorite bands ever because they had that debut album called 1977 that opened with uh the the, the Star Wars sound effects. Yeah. I remember when I finally got to interview them and and met them and we just talked about Star Wars and you just realize it was such a a, a touchstone for a, for an entire generation. I can't even you know I can't even think of another sequel that I, I mean I, I probably would have watched Jaws 2. Yeah. But I can't even think of another sequel really around that time I can even remember. As much as as Empire, they were so much more of a rarity back then yeah. than they are now. Now it's every week is there's a new yes. sequel or a new yeah. franchise film yeah. dropping. Um, it's not a special. I imagine it being quite special there. Yeah, it was, and I think because um, because Star Wars did have a beginning and a middle and an end, and it actually was a perfect standalone film. It was like, yeah. okay, that's it. You know, the good guys have won and everything. So I, I think when I saw it for the first time, I didn't even contemplate. Um, the possibility of a sequel because mm. you know like you say the films that I'd watched didn't have sequels and then all of a sudden it was like you know not only is it a sequel but there's actually there's, there's going to be three of yeah. these and then it was interesting that later on uh, in, in my life when the, the prequels came out I actually did the official uh, Radio 1 documentary on, um, on, on Star Wars and, uh, and as a result I ended up getting a script which is probably the most prized possession i've got an original shooting script of of star wars where it's still called um the adventures of luke star killer oh my god and that that dialogue is even worse on the page (laughs) than than it was when it made it to the uh to the actual movie so it's also it's definitely been a a, 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 a franchise that's been yeah yeah life because you know my kids absolutely loved it as well and then with the with the uh, sequel trilogy as well which i thought was amazing and it was amazing actually talking to my kids because my kids are all teenagers and ones in their early 20s and that reaction to the um the wokeness um of the second one and it was great discussing that with my kids who are all wonderfully woke and rightfully so yeah. so yeah. it was it was absolutely fascinating to to talk to them about the roles of female characters so it kind of it, it went through three stages and it was like so the first trilogy was just like bedazzled as a child the second trilogy was just crashing disappointment and the third trilogy was socio-political discussions <laughs> with my children so it was wonderful it just straddled Brilliant. my entire life it was great you know? <laughs> That's fantastic. Amazing. I love what you've said about the scripts because there's a fa- the famous Harrison Ford line where he, he says he changed all of his lines because he, he said to George Lucas, George, you can write this shit, but you can't say it. Yes. <laughs> it's so it's so incredible that it's it's it is what it is now because on page, like you said, it's it's a bit of a disaster and it's it's quite a hard sell, especially back in the late seventies, like, mm. okay guys, we're gonna try and make this uh sci-fi soap opera with a, a yeah. giant teddy bear, these electronical <laughs> machines. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. What age did you try and make your kids watch Star Wars? I want to know this. Oh, I was one of. The, I mean, as, as soon as they were sentient, I yeah. think with my um, <laughs> with my oldest daughter, it was the second kind of grown up thing that I made her watch. The first was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I mean, okay, I I was when she, was, she was three years old, and I sat down with her and watched that, and that became her. <laughs> that was my favorite TV show of all time, and and yeah. I wanted to call her Buffy. And my wife wouldn't let me because uh, she said <laughs> Buffy Diamond sounded like a porn star. And, um, so uh, I was like, wrong. right. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to I'm going to make sure. But this kid loves it. And it's my my daughter Molly's favorite TV show of all time. And she wishes she had been called Buffy as oh. a result. Oh. And then I remember. Uh, so I would have uh, made her watch Star Wars probably about four, four or five as well and uh, and yeah all, all my kids just love it as well that's so good and i went and i was lucky and when i did games master we did um we did a feature on lucas arts and uh, and i got to go to george lucas's ranch and uh and that was that was quite an amazing experience but it was really annoying because we were, we, uh, we were supposed to have an interview with him but it fell through on the day and what we did in the end to take the piss is that we had uh my mate bobby ball who uh what not the Bobby Ball, but we called him Bobby Ball because he had curly hair like the comedian Bobby Ball. Yeah, yeah. And and he he worked for um, Virgin Games, who published Lucas Arts, and we dressed him up as Darth Vader. And I interview him, <laughs> and I say it's George Lucas who's only only agreed to be interviewed, dressed as Darth Vader, and we have someone voicing him and everything. So uh, I've I've been to his house or his you know his fake ranch house. Yeah, yeah. I, I never quite got to meet him, which was which was a bit annoying. Can I ask what the ranch is like? I, I bet it's changed a bit, but was it as magical as you hoped it to be at that point? It's, well, what is brilliant about it, and you have to really, um, you have to give yourself over to the fiction here because his his ranch has a story, and the story is, if I remember correctly, it's of a traveller who wanted to build this place and he used it using bits of wood washed up from an old sunken galley. And there's all the stuff they're telling you, and you're like, this is not, this is George still actually writing his own fairy tale here. But you just have to surrender yourself to it. And you're like, this is, this is fantastic. It's better than saying, all right, here's a bathroom. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Brilliant. Are the bathrooms named? I imagine they are, right? I, pro- I, can't, I can't remember if they were it, but yes, they probably would be. I know that I got, I got the film in, in one that had like a big jacuzzi and everything. That was, that was where we filmed the interview with. George Lucas, oh, I'm very. That's like mecca to a lot of geeks. It was great. It was great. Um, and but no photograph. I'm no photographs from mm. that, and I don't know why I don't because it's annoying because we just did this uh, Games Master the oral history book, and I, and I searched through and I found all my old stuff, but I don't know why. I, you know why? It's because we didn't have. We didn't have cell phones back yeah, in yeah, those yeah. days. Yeah, yeah. So annoying. Take your camera with you and do it. Like, I you know. know. Yeah. <laughs> what, what out of a, just out of interest, Star Wars games? Uh, any high points and low points for you? Oh, the the uh, the original X Wing Tie Fighter games. They're so were good. Simulate ones. Yeah. Oh, they were just absolutely incredible because you would I would turn off all the lights and play them on my PC monitor, and it was yeah. just uh, completely an utterly immersive and i loved the way that they um that the way that they, the x-wing and the tie fighter were different and that the x-wing had more armor could take more hits but was slower yeah. to turn whereas the uh, the the tie fighter was so maneuverable but like one shot and that was it and you realize that's why they get shot down so much in the movies so so easily i thought it was it was absolutely brilliant i'm gonna ask you what your best ever sequel is it is uh, uh, T2 not Terminator 2 Train Spotting <laughs> 2 is my absolute favourite sequel 
of all time. Brilliant. Before you get into this, why this is your favourite sequel, this is the first time in the podcast that we've had someone's best sequel, which was a previous guest's worst sequel. <gasps> no <Yeah>. way! <laughs> oh, that's fascinating! Mm, that's <laughs> why I love this pod. Brilliant! That's great. So why do you love it so much? Well, because I thought it was impossible to pull off. Mm. Uh, you know, you have these uh, movies that are so utterly iconic and so meaningful to you. And Trainspot and the original resonated with me so much uh, as a as a Scottish person, as a Scottish person that comes from a generation of um, of alcoholic fathers, and, and you're you're cursed to a certain you know you you carry addiction, you inherit mm. it. And I went through it myself, so I didn't do heroin, but um, I, so it, just that whole idea that. Um, of what drugs make you do, but at the same time, when you, it's really fun. The up is brilliant, the down is horrible, and it completely replicated that. And and things like the um uh the the worst toilet in in the world scene. Yeah. I have yeah. seen people do that with wraps of cocaine. So just all the stuff was like, oh my god, you've perfectly represented drug culture of the nineties, the highs and the lows. And uh, and realize that at the end of the day, you have to you have to run away from it. You have to do what Renton says. You have to get out of it. And I was like, it's 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 you know, it was an amazing groundbreaking book. It was an incredible movie of it, and it was just every aspect of that movie was the nineties: the topography, the poster, the image of Ewan McGregor, that whole yeah. load of amazing actors who then went on to do incredible work. And I was just like, leave it there. And when Porno came out, the book, and I didn't really like that. Um, so I was like, oh, no, it's going to be based on porno as well. This is going to be an absolute disaster. And with every passing year, the longer it takes between movie and sequel, the worse you yeah, think it's going to get. Absolutely. But it came out, and not, not, not only did they pull it off, but I thought it was, a, it was a terrific movie with a beginning, a middle, and an end, a proper story. But it also, I think, in many ways, it's a masterclass of sequel making because i think a sequel needs to call back to the first movie but also evolve it but mm. evolve it in different ways and it needs to develop it's like the different movements of a symphony and i think that transporting 2 does that in clever ways like uh like the music which again was iconic those two tracks lust for life and and born slippy yeah. kind of hints at them throughout it brings them back in little ways the, the most brilliant bit is when when Mark Renton goes back to his old bedroom and he puts it on the vinyl and he puts the needle down and he goes, and then he pulls it right off. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. just like, oh, but it's brilliant. And it keeps doing yeah. that right and until the end, until the end of the whole movie, when he's back in that bedroom and and everybody has realized, I think anyway, that the only that the most important thing is family, because they all end up with different aspects of family at the end. And only then can he put on that song and he puts it on and he dances with this wild abandonment that he had you know all the 20 years before and the camera pulls out and this amazing long tunnel shot that becomes the train and you're just like wow so uh i i, I, I yeah I, I think it's just brilliant when you first going to watch it did you nervous going into the cinema what were your initial thoughts were you wary did you have your family with you did you have your daughters and your son no 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 you watch go myself. By yourself? Watching myself uh, during the day, like first day that it came out, 
Uh, I prefer that actually. I much prefer. Yeah, I, I, I hate. I think the worst thing about uh, going to the cinema is other people. Um, <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's horrible. The rustles, the noises, the smells, the pot. I mean, how much? Who the fuck needs to eat nachos with cheese at a cinema? I mean, I don't understand it. I mean, I, I you know, when I go, with my wife, my wife is one of these disgusting human beings who gets triple butter layered on the popcorn there's more butter than popcorn and it's it's horrible <laughs> so um i much prefer going to movies or more and there was a great period of time where i uh the, i had the love i had a, a, a column in the daily star um like a kind of news column a couple of times a week but in the sunday star i reviewed um, movies and tv and uh and music so i got to go to the press screenings and they were oh, all nice. like yeah, 10 yeah. o'clock in the morning and that was brilliant 10 yeah. o'clock in the morning sitting in a wee cinema in glasgow with like eight other critics who were all reverential and hushed and quiet you know and uh and so yeah no definitely movies on their own was great so i, I watched it on my own i was very nervous i'd heard a bit of the buzz that said it was okay anyway and i think that um i think for right from the beginning you realise it's going to be smart because like the original film, it starts with Renton running, uh, but this time it's not through the streets of Edinburgh, you know, with this excited exuberance mm. of, of youth, but I had a horrible rabbit warren of a gym on a treadmill. Mm. And I just thought, that's it. You're making the connection. This is the running you do then. This is the running he does now. And I'm like, I think this is what you're going to do throughout this whole movie. And and it does. And, and the fact that, you know, uh, uh, Spud, when we have the catch up with him, he is, uh, yeah. it's, it's again, it's a version of the f fantastic motor mouth job application interview from the first movie, except yeah. this time he's just talking about, you know, why he was a junkie. So um, already it was very efficiently within the first 10 minutes, every character gets updated in a way that links back to what they did in the first movie. So very quickly, uh, I thought, no, I think this is going to be all right. I think this is going to be all right. And then actually it became more of a, a lovely kind of guessing game. I'm like, okay, so how are they going to bring back this character? And how are they going mm. to bring back that character? And then they do, and there's this lovely little reward all the time throughout the film when you get little bits brought back. I really like, I actually really like Begbie in this in, in this movie. Uh, I think his growth and his change through this movie is is really different. You know, I think is he really stands out because, you know, Sick Boy and Renton and Spud, they haven't really changed. There's no yeah. real kind of growth. They're still the same people they were in yeah. the first one. But Begbie kind of ends up being different. You know, he kind of softens. Oh, that I... I think he does. He has that conversation He's... with his son, doesn't he, where he kind of apologises. Yes, and, and I, th I think that's... Yeah. yeah, and I, th I think that is a genuinely beautiful bit. I think what is... um. Uh, what is amazing about uh, about Robert Carlyle in this film, he's the one character who looks different. The other three guys still pretty much look the same as they do yeah, because yeah, yeah. Johnny Lee Miller and Hugh McGregor never age, basically. <laughs> and, um, you know, and uh, so, but Begbie looks grown up. He's a much older guy. He's got a much more thick set face. He's a proper grown adult, but still bristling with this horrible, horrible violence that, that can just erupt at any time. And again, I think that what is great about that character is that that's what the majority of working class Scottish dads on council estates, that's what our dads were like. Mm. That, you know, you, they could be really funny and Begbie can be really funny, but there was just always that, there was that latent violence underneath that could come out at any moment. And I think, I think Robert Carlyle's performance in both movies is utterly incredible. Mm. And especially because I've, uh, I've, I've met, Robert Carlyle, I've had a, I've had a, a drink with him, 
And he's not like that at all. He's really intellectual, <laughs> soft-spoken. It's an incredible transformation to have yeah. just that power and that danger. And I think, and I do agree with you, Rich. I, th- I think that that, um, you know, as I said that by the end of the film, the characters all recognise that that family is what it's about. And I think Begbie's one is the most poignant. Yeah. That even though he is still capable of horrific violence throughout, that when he says to his son, you know, it's all right to go off and do, you know, hotel management. And, and he tells him that about his dad being the alcoholic that they find in uh, the train station that gave the whole birth to the whole name train spot, which wasn't in the original. If I remember, I'm pretty sure that wasn't in the original. And I remember people saying, oh, why haven't they got that scene from the book in the original movie? Because it's the most yeah. poignant. Mm. But he's saying, you know, this was my dad. My dad was a was an alcoholic and I was trapped into being this person. You have a chance of getting out. And he says, take it. And actually that Begby's son is probably the only one that, the first person that will escape from mm. that predetermined kind of, you know, working class council estate violent thing, apart from, you know, maybe Spud, because, you know, Spud and what, again, is a brilliant part that is just this wonderful post kind of modern meta thing that Spud turns out to write train spotting. And that's yeah. just, that's just beautiful as well. I really like that too. How come someone said it was the worst sequel ever on this point? This is really, I'm saying these things and I'm like, how can someone not have seen the beauty in this movie? Listed to you, I, I don't know either. <laughs> they they would have liked it not to be in Scotland was one of their, they felt it was too like similar. And yeah. what I love about film, any film is that someone's worst film can be someone's favorite film. Yeah. And, yeah. And they don't. They don't. She, they don't think the character of any character has really evolved, which is I don't. I, I don't agree with. Um, but that's. But I think that's the point. Is that they mm. are trying. To, I mean, Renton is desperately trying to evolve. But the minute he comes back, you know, it's only a matter of time before he takes heroin again. It's only a matter of time before he gets sucked into some dodgy scam because. It's friendship. These are the bond, mm. you know, that when, when you grow up and you and you have this disconnect with your parents um, because of violence, because of alcoholism or whatever, that you make those bonds with friends. And it's so, that's again, what's so lovely that they do in the sequel is these lovely shots back to the playground on their first day at school. Because uh, you wonder a lot, why is he even friends with Begbie? And then you yeah. hear, oh, he was sat next to him in that first day at school and he was the older kid. And those bonds you make, in yeah. working class areas with your schoolmates are absolutely, they're, they're resolute and they're firm and you will end up uh, doing anything with them. I Like <laughs> my my friend Kirk, who I, I didn't meet at school, but I only met when he became a co-commentator on Games Master or, or kind of just before he did, you know, he's, he's the naughtiest guy in the world. He just gets me in trouble. He got me in trouble throughout <laughs> the 90s. Um, and, uh, and, and if you ask, his mum hates me, my mum hates him, or rather hates our relationship because they each think that we're trouble. And it doesn't yeah. matter how old we are or how many children we have or what positions of responsibility we're in. If we get together, some bad shit's going to happen. <laughs> because that's, maybe it's just a, but that's what a Scottish kind of guy's <laughs> friendships do, you know? That was me yeah. when I was a kid. I was the I was the yeah. kid that got everyone else in trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was the kid being dragged along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but less than that, my friend's parents would tell you something differently. Um, do you think that it's a generational thing as well, as in that you can, like, you can, you've seen that and you've yeah, been you there kind of thing, it, yeah. relate to it, 
and especially being Scottish as well, you know, you can see I the think, growing up. Yeah, and... it's, it's difficult because I, I mean, I can't, I can only see the movie really through my own eyes. And yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But that said, I think you got a point because my wife, who grew up on the absolute opposite extreme than I did, in that she grew up in Kent in a house with horses and the fucking tennis court. She doesn't get train spotting. Yeah. The first is... one or the sequel, you know? So, um, so yeah, I, su- I suspect you're right that there maybe has to be, well, I don't know. I, I think that that, what was clever about the original movie um, was I, I think that the casting was so right that they were, um, with the possible exception of, uh, well, obviously Begbie and Spud less so, but with, with Johnny Lee Miller and, uh, and Ewan and Kelly McDonald, the three most, drop dead gorgeous like charismatic beautiful to look at people and then with the music which obviously which wasn't remotely scottish i think Mm. those were two things that you know people could connect to because you would be like i really fancy you mcgregor i really fancy kelly mcdonald man i really love that lust for life um so i think um i think maybe that would be where someone who wasn't scottish might have more problems with the second film because i think the second film is much more entrenched in just the absolute soul-destroying shit of, of being trapped in a, a working-class Scottish yeah, low-income yeah. existence. Mm. Yeah. Do you have a favourite scene? Because my favourite scene is when Begbie and Renton first set eyes on each other in the men's toilets when they slowly go up. <laughs> and then yeah. that chase follows. That's the awesome. I, <laughs> they both know and they think, oh, Fuck. Yeah, it's great and the way the tension builds. It's like yeah, yeah. And the music and plays, it yeah. And um, it's a it's a great scene. But uh, no, my my favourite scene, and a lot of um, a lot of fellow Catholics and Celtic supporters in Scotland have this as um, as their favourite scene is the scene with the uh, in the Orange Lodge when um, they they steal all the credit cards because they know that they know that the credit card pin number is going to be 1690, the Battle of the Boyne. And I'm telling you, that is true. A lot of the, it was such a brilliant bit of writing because Irvin Welsh is a Hibs fan and they're the Catholic team in Edinburgh. So he's pretty anti-Rangers as well. And it was just a total, he was just bamming them up. It was just absolute trolling to the best, to the nth degree. And it's also, it is just so wonderfully done that, I mean, I, I, I'm just laughing that there's that whole thing about when he comes, when he lands on that line in desperation and there are no more Catholics left and there's that <laughs> silence and then the cheer and then you see Renton because this is what's great about Renton and Sick Boy, they're both incredibly intelligent and there is nothing worse than being an incredibly intelligent Scottish person trapped in a, in a low-income working-class prison. And I was very lucky myself in that that, that I was that, but my mum, God bless her, my mum uh, sent me off to get uh, to sit a scholarship exam for a posh boarding school. And I went there when I was 11 or 12. And I know people who were the same age as me, who were yeah. as smart as me, and they did become drug dealers because that's really the bit, only test of your intelligence, really, is oh, getting wow. away with crime. So... Um, so uh yeah so i just thought that you see renton's mind going and then when he starts coming up with these different lines and using words like heft and bereft to rhyme with this and there were no more catholics left and he just goes on and on and he keeps coming up with more and more and it is just like um it's like waves and waves of humor kind of crashing onto a shore it's just it's absolutely phenomenal it's an incredible it's what it's probably I can't think of a better, funnier scene that represents the madness of Scotland in any movie 
more than more than that the orange lodge scene in, in train spotting amazing i love that uh, would you were you happy whether you, they left the characters and if they said because apparently there's there's going to be a begby tv series mm. if right. they said if they said we're going to do t3 in about i don't know another 10 years would you be excited for that or would you think let's step away now we've there's nowhere to go i i don't think that i don't think there should be another move well you know i didn't think there should be a second one and they pulled it off there i can't go, see yeah. where i can't see where those characters go because you know because they've all realized that it's a it's a family connection that is the only thing that's worth anything in that existence so spud yes has, has written the train spotting book but it's his his estranged wife who reads it and tells them how good it is and yeah. they bond over that. Um, the even sick boy, the most morally depraved and, and the most horrible of all the characters. And actually there's a big, I mean, in the book, in porno, he's much more vile. But even the fact that he has seen opening up the pub again that he got from his auntie, there's that family connection and obviously mm. Renton is going back and he's going to move back in with his dad in his old room. And, and uh, so I, I don't see where they would have to maybe realize that, um, oh, maybe family's boring and they get together for one last kind of, and I hate those kind of sequels. Yeah. You know, um, it's going to be a bit like Expendables 2 or Expendables 3. <laughs> I think if that happens. But I, I mean, Begbie obviously, Begbie has a story because even though, you know, like you said, Rich, he does have this amazing, uh, you know, bond and scene with his son at the end. He is going back into prison mm, and, yeah. and he is, um, Probably the well, no, because they're they're all tied to their kind of inner characters. But I mean, Baby's probably the only one that could um could do something. And what it is, I mean, this is just going to be going to be like a Scottish prison break. I <laughs> 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 you know? mean, that's what it is. I would watch that. I would definitely watch that. I would, I'd watch. I'd watch anything Robert Carlyle's in. Anyway, he's just the most incredible actor. He really is. What is the most disappointing sequel you've watched? So not your worst. We'll get onto that. But what's your disappointing? So the first one was really good. You couldn't wait for it, and then you came out of it, and you're like, oh, you mean? You could um, say well, I, I, th I think it's. I think it's actually the. Um, it is the the other movie that was in my final two for talking about the worst sequel ever. Oh, let's get that <laughs> so, in. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, and that um, I I loved the first film. I I thought that before that i'm trying to remember if that came out before or after uh, thor 2 um but they were both really funny and i thought that was the one thing i don't the marvel movies try to have little kind of wise cracks but i thought that um that, that thor 2 and guardians of the galaxy were the first ones that were kind of unapologetic comedies and i thought it was brilliant guardians of the galaxy that for like that thor ragnarok so the, the title thor ragnarok, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah not the second one the second one is not oh fun. sorry yes a big part yes that's right yeah thor <laughs> t3 yeah oh yeah no two was that big space hole and, and, and um, there we go yeah. yeah that was horrible yeah that was rubbish. But yeah no thor 3 ragnarok was was absolutely hilarious so I, I thought, oh, this is going to be so brilliant. It's so unlike any other Marvel movie. It's kind of, it's much yeah. more kind of human. It's much more entrenched. In, it's a character-driven comedy. That family again. It is, exactly, yes. And then the second one came out, and it's like, oh, it's the horrible, huge, big fucking CGI, massive thing. I hate that. I can't stand gigantic CGI, I think, because I still see the joins. Yeah. And I also think it's just so... It's just so kind of lazy, and that's how I'm sitting here. I'm dreading, I'm dreading Doctor Strange's 
multiverse <laughs> b- madness thing because I know that's just going to be the same thing. It's Dave got to see it a couple of days ago at a screener, so he's already seen it. <laughs> Is it just like swimming in a sea of confusing CGI? <laughs> yes, but not, if anything, if anything, not enough. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, okay. I mean, I've got to see it anyway because my for a my film that's called Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. There's not enough multiverse. There's not oh, enough really? madness. In there, so. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so yeah, I, I was I was very 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 disappointed with uh, with Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. I thought it was a regression. Yeah, it is a bit backwards. It is. Um, yeah, you're right. And you're you're exactly right that the the big bad is the the worst thing about it. Ego is this this. Oh. It's just boring. He's just a yeah, boring I've bad I've, guy. I've seen variations on it so many times. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't need it. I quite enjoyed it. Did you really? But again, I'm gonna to have to say I went to the press screening of it, and yeah. they had a they had like a big disco before they. they <laughs> wasn't in a it wasn't in a ne- a normal uh, like cinema. They put it yeah. in the Hammersmith Apollo. Oh, so right. it was like okay. it was like a concert. Um, oh wow! Yeah, yeah so it was it was really it was really different. They had like this music beforehand and stuff, and I bought into it. I thought uh, Dave Bautista was as. Drax was hilarious, but uh, he's, he's but Guardians of the Galaxy is my favourite Marvel film, right? So there is definitely a drop off between one and yeah. two, yeah, yeah, a lot because it's it, I just I get it that they're they're a family now, but yeah. I just that I don't really care about them. I I care <laughs> I don't care about them together. I like the mm. the characters individually. I like Rocket. I like Drax. I like Star Lord yeah. even, but together I you know I. I Nothing for me there anymore. What is your worst sequel ever? Strap I, in. I watched this again because I, th- I I thought I, no, it can't be as bad as I remember. But I did watch the whole thing again, and it is John Wick two. I cannot okay. stand John Wick two. <laughs> Why? Well, there's that a lot of it disappointment because I thought the yeah. first movie was perfect. I thought it was just brilliant. I, I, I was I was into it. The minute I heard the the minute I saw I read the one sentence pitch of that movie with Keanu Reeves, aging assassin, coming out of retirement, I'm just like, that's it. You've got me. You've got. Yeah. And I thought it was brilliantly done. I thought that um, I love the fact that it started because someone killed his dog. And I thought that was a that was a really really lovely human, very human yeah, kind of definitely. touch. And he had very human motivations for what he did. And it had a beginning, it had a middle and it had an end. And then the second one, it's like the the second John Wick movie is guided by utterly bullshit, unbelievable rules that mm. make no sense yep. whatsoever. And it's a movie where it seems that, hmm, okay, how are we gonna move the plot? I know, let's make up another rule that this assassin's cabal has. Yeah. You know, oh, you have a blood oath for this that you have to fulfill because you came out of retirement. And it's like, but no, he didn't come out of retirement because I hate to sound like a trade union leader for the assassin's guild, <laughs> but an assassin gets paid money to kill people. In mm. the first movie, he doesn't, that's not what he does. No, he doesn't, doesn't come out of retirement because someone pays him money to kill. He's not being an assassin. He is being a, a revenge 
killer, mm, right? Yeah. Because someone fucked with him. So the whole this plot of, of John Wick 2 is based on something that's not true. He did not come out of retirement. And you might say, oh, but listen, you're picking up wholesale. I'm like, are you kidding? With how much these guys stick to stupid rules? I can't believe that that Ian McShane didn't come up with a better paper. No, actually, technically, if you look at subclause, you know, three <laughs> in this, he didn't actually accept money. So I do, I must admit, I do have, um, I have a touch of kind of ADHD, OCD. So I really am a stickler for rules and logic <laughs> in movies. And I am that irritating guy that even though I've loved comics uh, and the comic books and comic book movies since a kid, I am the one that go, well, actually, technically, it wouldn't be possible for a man to leap that high over a building in a single bound because once you factor, I'm that guy, okay? Yeah, so yeah. I think that they, uh, it's also, it doesn't make sense. That, no, it doesn't. It doesn't make like, any sense. <laughs> rules and assassins. No, the idea <laughs> that you have these people who, for a living, kill people, kill people, Using, they would use whatever leverage and advantage that they can. They're not going to go, all right, well, I'm not going to kill you because we're in a hotel. Yeah. It's like you can't, you can't trust criminals. That's why they're criminals. <laughs> so, yeah. so why do why you have a whole rule structure with the most anarchic section of society? Really irritates me. Yeah, absolutely. And also, if he'd have... When he does, when the guy pulls out that coin, I, I only watched this for the first time this morning, essentially. Right. Um, when the guy pulls out the coin for the blood oath, the exact same thing would have happened if Keanu had just gone, if John Wick had just gone, nah, piss off, I'm not doing it. Like, exactly the same thing. He'd have still tried to kill him. Like, <laughs> and he still ends up trying to kill him. You know, yeah. it's just like, it just adds a whole different section to the movie that's just pointless. <laughs> There's loads of bits in this film that annoy me like that. Like, the whole beginning is, is him getting his car back mm. and then he, the car instantly gets smashes yeah, up. Yeah. That drives me mental. Yeah. And then there's a bit at the end when he kills the bad guy and yeah. he leaves the hotel, yeah. goes back home for 30 seconds and then they come back from the hotel and like, you need to come back now. I'm like... <laughs> You had to go and get a bracelet. That's what it was, Dave. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. His pocket or anything. I know he has these these stupid attachments to his dead wife that are supposed to represent the great love that he had—a love that was so great that he actually became the first ever assassin, really, to leave this guild because of the love. And that love is represented by a dog. All right, fair enough, but by a fucking car. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not an emotional connection. It's a fucking car. It's a yeah, nice car. It's a, it's a nice, nice car. car. Millions of nice cars out yeah, there, you true. know. And a, a bracelet, you know, kind of fair enough. I mean, my my problem isn't so much that he goes and gets the bracelet, but it's like, okay, he's shot the guy in the head in the hotel, which is just utterly stupid for him to do anyway. Just wait till he gets wait. outside. And that yeah. whole rule annoys me. That rule that you cannot kill someone, you cannot do business inside the grounds of the Continental Hotel. Why is there not 50 million assassins waiting right outside that hotel <laughs> at all times of the day and night, just waiting for them? Why don't they have an assassin's version of that prank with the bucket of water above the door, except it's acid? You know what I mean? It's just, it's, the, the rules are crazy. So, so he knows, he does that, which is really stupid because he could have just waited until the guy's got to go outside sooner or later. And I know he says this great line, oh, it's amazing 
how one can eat a different meal every day for so long as in like, no, you fucking can't. At some point, you're wanting a Big Mac, right? That's it. He's going to go out. <laughs> so he kills him, and it's pretty obvious. Keanu Reeves knows, okay, everyone's going to be coming after me. So then he goes out, and I'm like, okay, fair enough. And I don't have that same problem that you do, Dave. I'm like, okay, it's the one thing that he's got left with his wife. Why he didn't take it originally, I don't know. <laughs> At the start of the movie, oh, I remember, just got that thing. Goes back, takes it. He has pockets. <laughs> yeah. But then he goes back for a meeting with Ian McShane in the middle of the city. Fucking why? <laughs> just run, keep running. He goes all the way back for a meeting with Ian McShane, only to have to run again. Um, and it's just, it's... it's, it's, it's and why take the dog? Time. That's just hampering you at that point oh, isn't it well and that's what that's what annoys me about because I, I i did say to you guys that i couldn't remember if i thought john wick 3 was even worse i said because i just don't have the will to watch it again but because again ocd um they, I, I did watch uh, oh, as much you. as i could of john wick 3 again and and the dog is completely pointless in John Wick 3 because five minutes into the film, he fucking takes the dog back to the hotel. He's in the taxi. The taxi stops in traffic and he's like, he has one coin left. One coin, that's all he's got in the world. And he gives it to the taxi driver. Take the dog back to the hotel. Fucking hell. How stupid. <laughs> How absolutely stupid. Do you struggle to remember what is John Wick 1, 2 and 3? Do you feel like it's a bit samey um I, th I think until i went back and watched them again yes absolutely but what is interesting is that there's another um another thing that irritates me about john wick 2 is i don't think that there's um there's even any development with the fight scenes mm. uh it, it becomes the um don't get me wrong that first time you see him sh uh like lie down and shoot out the shins of someone when they come in the corner like that's really clever yeah, Shin yeah. shot they fall headshot but he does that literally 20 times. That yeah. um, he has a long barrel gun, shoot, shoot, run out of bullets, throw it at the guy, pull out a pistol, shoot him. Happens 10 times. The actual thing, him lower than someone shooting them through the head and the blood splatters above 10 times. And it's yeah, yeah. really repetitive. Uh, and I would never have thought that something which obviously, I mean, it's obviously, it's incredible choreography to do that. Oh, yeah, it's stuff. amazing. It's mind blowing. But it just, it, it, it's, it's too repetitive. And I think what one thing that is good about John Wick 3 is that there's genuinely more imagination that one of the chase scenes, he's on a horse. Yeah, Brilliant. great. I mean, that, that's good. And, and the first um, kind of long extended fight scene is in the uh, ancient weapon store where they're just dragging these ancient things over and that's incredibly inventive but john wick 2 didn't even do that i can't i can't think of anything uh, you know okay so there's one big running fighting thing which is after the the uh, he kills the sister after she's about to be coronated and it's in these catacombs but again that whole thing is it relies on him leaving certain weapons in the catacombs that he's going to run by. Now, if that yeah. was in Scotland, someone would have fucking nicked it. You couldn't. <laughs> that's not a plan at all. So things like that really, really, really annoy me. Yeah. And and even um, when I talk about just how the dog is this thing that really isn't a thing in John Wick Two, Lawrence Fishburne's character. And the homeless yeah. assassins, which is, again is a lovely touch. It's a great, it's a classic and a comic book thing to do, but they don't do anything. It's set up. You get this great actor, and all they do is they help him like an underground fucking route into a hotel room. That's yeah. all they do. And even and in the third movie, 
And I watched it going, oh, well, there's obviously going to be tons of stuff. That, but no, it's not. They get fucking, they get killed in the first like 20 minutes. It's pointless things like that, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think the, the beauty of the first one is it's 90 minutes. It's short. It's sharp. You instantly get what, what's motivating him. Like within the first five minutes, you completely understand everything you need to understand about him. So The cool. fight scenes so, are great. Yeah. The gun yeah. work is amazing. And then yeah. the second one, bloats itself too much it's half an hour mm-hmm. too long it oh, tries yeah. to do this word oh, yeah. world building that just completely confuses the story and dilutes everything i don't give a shit about gold coins and bloody assassins guilds and stuff you know it just layers that up which dulls the rest of the story and yeah, yeah i completely understand why you don't like it i really do i've been watched both of them in quick succession yeah. <laughs> and it's also got um the climactic shoot off is in a room of mirrors oh <laughs> again enough with shootouts in a room of mirrors i feel like i've seen that a million times if you want it's to like, see that oh, really what? done really well you just watch the guest that that does it nicely the guest oh, is good yeah that's... i haven't seen the guest oh it's very good put that down very good because i'm trying to think of there was, there was a james bond movie that was that, that was done in and i'm trying to think what one it was but I feel like I've seen it so many times. Yeah, it's it was the man with thing. the golden gun, wasn't it? Um, was it? Yeah, yeah. And his, uh, yeah. Um, you when we were talking about Star Wars earlier, you mentioned that you used to. Well, you Empire Strikes Back is great, but your now big hate is that it's it has no ending. Yeah. Um, this has no ending, does it? No. No. Is that the, is that a thing you really hate or? Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's, I just feel I feel it's a con. I, I remember the first time that I was really aware of it was when they shot Back to the Future 2 and 3 back to back. Mm. And when I heard that, I'm like, oh, that sounds a bit dodgy. That sounds like they've shot one movie and they're splitting it into two mm. so they can make more money. And so that's that's why I hate, um, I, I, that's why I hate things like that. It's either, listen, as much as I, I, I don't like movies that are longer than a football match, you know, make it into one three-hour four-hour movie if you have to or chop out all the bloated bits and make it into to one movie you've obviously only got the ideas really for one movie there don't split it into two and i i find it hard to think of a movie that sets up a sequel so explicitly by not ending the film that mm. couldn't have been pushed together with that ensuing film to make a better movie yeah if that makes sense and now there's going to be a fourth one there's going to be tv series spin-offs have you had have you had enough, or are you going to go check out John Wick Four when it comes out? Oh, I mean, see, this is the thing. Right? <laughs> I'm a sucker. I, I'm going to see it. I will still go and see it because. Oh yeah, I get this. <laughs> it's right. It's my wife's one of my wife's most favorite movie franchises. She absolutely loves it. Like I say, she's the complete opposite of me than absolutely everything. But there's also it's it's FOMO, isn't it? It's that fear of missing out. It's like yeah. you know. What if there's something? Because these people are obviously clever people making this movie, and yeah. Keanu Reeves is clever. And it's like you still kind of think, you think back to that first one, and you're like, "There's going to be something." And and again, like I say in in, in John Wick Three, that there is there's a there's much more imaginative shootouts, and the fact that they've got Jerome Flynn in there as a bad guy in Morocco. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's just little things like I don't want to miss out on fantastic stunt casting like that by not seeing the movie i think putting halle berry in the third one made it a little bit more interesting at least it wasn't just john wick shooting yeah. people in the foot and the head that it was a it bit wasn't of... and she's remarkable because what's interesting is that and i like the fact that she has dogs 
and the dogs actually do something useful yeah, yeah. in the movie. So you can understand why she'd get annoyed when Jerome Flynn shoots her dog because it's a fucking badass dog. Um, and, uh, and But the thing about Halle Berry that I find slightly distracting is that I think, to my knowledge, or it's certainly the first movie I saw her in that I noticed her having long hair. And she... I kept looking at her going, has she had plastic surgery? She won these people who's, and it's like, no, she's got long hair. And I'm really not used to long haired Halle Berry. So I kept getting kind of pulled out of the movie by that. And again, maybe that's just an OCD ADHD thing, you know, that I that I have. But um the dogs were great in it. I love the dogs. They were, they were like, they were like those dogs that um Action Man used to have. I'm sure at one point he had a dog that had like a kind of like a bulletproof vest on it when I was a kid. Maybe I just imagined that. Brilliant. Amazing. I'm exactly like you in the, in the fact that even if I don't like a like say for like Venom for example, I, yeah. we watched the second Venom movie and I didn't really like it, but I st- I'm still going to watch the third one because I still oh, yeah. want to know what's going to happen and I still want to see it yeah. and I still hope it's going to be better. You know, oh, I'll, still I, like... I, 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 I'll watch every Marvel movie. I mean, yeah. I probably hate fifty percent of them. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'll still. Yeah, it's just one of those things. I'll still it's watch, like me and Fast and Furious. I'm, if you start one, then I have to watch all fucking nine of them. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's see that's interesting because it is the one franchise that has never sucked me in and i have oh, tried really? because i you know I, I see things like like the one that was in dubai just based on the clips i'm like oh that looks like that'd be an amazing movie but I, i've you know i've watched like the first one i was like oh, okay it's all right and then just i've not really got into it and then that um uh thingy in hobbs i thought was just god awful oh. absolutely and that's got Jason Statham and I, I'd watch Jason Statham read the back of a bag of crisps and I still <laughs> just oh, I, I hated that I think that the Fast and Furious franchise is a very kind of it, it, Marmite it, yeah very Marmite it, you yeah. love it or you hate it I, I kind of love it it's kind of my guilty pleasure you know I yeah. love them all I think the first movie is basically Point Break with Cars which you know yeah. at the age yeah. I watched it that's exactly what I wanted in a movie yeah. um, <laughs> you loved cars as well yeah. and, yeah, and, and also like, see I, I don't I don't like cars I'm oh, not okay. a car guy I don't get them at all like my yeah. dad has, a, has this phrase he always uses about me and he says Dominic the only thing that you know about cars is how to aim them <laughs> <laughs> and I also have a horrible habit throughout my life of um of 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 denting cars when I turn right into anywhere in an underground car park um in Canada because you drive on the right side of the road I always yeah, yeah. clip the bumper so I, I don't I get really I, I'm I'm not that guy that when you when you uh get a higher car I, I sit there having a panic attack for two minutes because I'm convinced I'm going to hit something. So yeah. I think that's probably why Fast and Furious, <laughs> Fast and Furious does not, not appeal to me. <laughs> Has there ever been a sequel that you really didn't enjoy the first one and then you kind of got dragged to go and see the rest and you thought, oh, that's much better than I thought it was going to be? Hmm. There have... Oh, do you know what? There's, there's, been, there's been movies I've seen the sequel first Okay. And then thought, oh, that's good, and gone back. And I wish I could remember them, but I can't remember them now. But no, I, I don't think... No Bonds, no horror films. They're always quite long franchise films. No, because I, th- I think, I'd, um, again, my I tend to, to do away with most horror films after the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and again, my, my wife is the opposite. My wife genuinely has seen every single horror movie that's ever been made, including the horrible, sick, 
fucking things like Saw and Wolf Creek and that I just, you know, uh, and Hostel that I just can't, yeah, I, I can't, I can't even get into that kind of thing. <laughs> but um, uh, but no, it's the rather boring answer. I mean, obviously there's, you know, there's, there's sequels I can see that are, you know, there's those that classic list of sequels that are better than, you know, the original. Um, what, what, would you put, what would you put in that, Aliens? Oh, Aliens and T2, T- Terminator 2, that's, you know. Um, not Godfather 2. Actually, I think um, I, I, I came close, but I didn't dare. I didn't dare put that as the worst sequel. I thought that would be just me being a bit up myself and a bit arch. Wow. Okay, uh, I, I'm, I'm acceptable saying it's not as good as the first one, but you're saying you think it's not a good sequel or a good film. I think it's boring and overblown and too long. I do too. It's, it's, it's two separate <laughs> movies. And this whole thing, yeah. oh yeah, but it, the comparison between, you know, um, you know, between uh, De Niro and, and Pacino's yeah, characters. Yeah. Like, fuck off you know it's just uh, you know i just think it's it's I, I don't get it i actually and this will i mean you're, I'll, you're probably going to kick me off this podcast when <laughs> nope, i say this nah. nope. i yeah. enjoyed godfather 3 more than godfather 2 i think godfather 3 is one of the most wrongly maligned sequels of all time i love i love that movie do you know that's the answer to this question then <laughs> oh yeah well, well you, there you, go, you yeah. hated the second one oh yeah and then you, and then you watch the third one and you're like that's the, hey yeah. that's better <laughs> that's that's a really good that's a good i, I think godfather 3 is brilliant the helicopter shootout when uh, when the you know he's in the high rise oh, yeah. thing, I think that's absolutely fantastic. That's like Die Hard meets the Mafia, and uh, and I just I actually think that Sofia Coppola's I loved her performance. Oh, come on! No, I I thought there was just a because she's supposed to be this this person who's just not connected in any way with the family. So I think having her doing let's you know the most complimentary way, very naturalistic style. I think that I, I really liked it. And I love the colours, that kind of the the, the, the colourisation, that kind of sepia brown kind of colouring that was. I, I thought it was great. I've never seen Godfather three, but I totally agree with you on two. I found I found it overblown and boring and dull. And you're the first person who ever said who's ever said the same thing. Everyone always loves <laughs> Godfather Part Two, but I, I'm so glad there's someone else in the world that thinks the same that I do. <laughs> not... But yet, no, no one's picked it on this podcast. No, yet. we've. I gave Rich a list. I was like, these ones are going to come up quick. Yeah. Okay. So Aliens, yeah. Terminator Two, Godfather Two, there's Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. And mm. no one has picked Godfather Two or Empire Strikes Back yet as their best ever sequels. Well, I can understand it. We've got. Well, I thought you would get. Yeah, maybe got maybe because Godfather Two is always on that list. But yeah. I'm surprised no one's done Empire. No. No. So yet. am I. Because I <laughs> we want to talk about that one. Yeah. <laughs> But Pacino in the third one, you do get that classic line that I, that I thought I was out and they dragged me back oh, in. Oh, goosebumps, goosebumps. <laughs> I remember seeing that on the trailer and, and that was it for me. That was just, he's you know, because he is the most watchable scene-chewing actor in the history of cinema. I'm going to have to go um, watch Godfather 3 now. <laughs> there's two versions now, Rich, because oh, right. there's like a re-edit like last year oh, or they? something. Oh, okay. Oh, it's, I called the co- it's called the Coda edit or something like that. Okay. Uh, so I'd be interested to see what you think of that, Dom. Um, yeah. I haven't watched it yet. Either. Apparently it's a better film. Right. So... <laughs> okay. Your dream sequel, what's that one? Uh, dream sequel is uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And I, I could have, I really could have picked it any one of those John Hughes Brat Pack movies because I, I absolutely loved them uh, yeah. as I was a teenager and I uh, and it was incredible that when I when I finally moved uh, over to Canada in 2009 and my kids started going to 
to school and high schools, even though it's Canada. I mean, Canada is basically America with just nicer people. And, uh, and so all that iconography of the buses and the lockers and everything, which I dreamed of when I was a kid watching John Hughes movies and, yeah. you know, graduation balls. You know, my kids actually got to do it, although apparently even back in the, U- the UK, they have graduation balls and all that stuff now. But, um, but yeah, I love, but they never did sequels. They really never did sequels to, to, to those movies. And I think that Ferris Bueller's Day Off was the most sequel worthy because I have this thing and it reflects my own journey as a parent that what happened, I was thought, what happens when Ferris Bueller himself is a dad and it's his kid that is dicking around at school and, you know, nicking cars and bunking off because the behavior, and I hate to sound like a dad, (laughs) the behavior that I found wildly cool back then, I now genuinely look at as horrifically irresponsible and my you know my, I've got my, my son Charlie he's in his last year of high school and if he even falls behind in an assignment I'm absolutely going mental on him the idea that he could just fuck off for a day and end up in a parade and steal a car and everything I would kill him and you're just like no listen so, and I keep saying to him this this thing Charlie just get through high school, right? It's it's a horrible time of your life. It's 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 beset with horrible traps you can fall into. You have mm. to work so hard, harder than you ever have to work in your life, doing a lot of pointless stuff that you're not going to need. But you have to get that number at the end, that yeah. percentage, that grade, that mark. And then when you go to university, you can fuck around to your heart's content because you'll still just get a 2-1 or a (laughs) 2-2. I did nothing. I did not a scrap of work at Bristol University and I got a 2-2. It's like, it's just, it's impossible. It's impossible to fail university. You can fuck around. But uh, yeah, so I I think that um, I get parental, uh, I get parental panic attacks even just thinking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off now yeah, as a parent. Yeah, I, I, I haven't watched it in a long time. And I remember thinking, like, it was really cool. When I was a kid, yeah. like, Ferris Bueller was really cool. And I watched it again today, and I thought, why does anyone like him? He's yeah. such a dick. Like, he's, like he's, he's horrible to his friend. He's horrible yeah. to his girlfriend. He's just not he is, a nice a, yeah. person to be yeah. around at all. Like, yeah, he's a dick. Apart from the... Uh, the shower, I still remember thinking he was really cool in the shower when he was singing that song. And I remember starting, I remember copying that so many times in the shower. But you're right, he's a horrible, selfish, exploitative, but he's mm. the worst. He's basically, he's not that much better a friend than Sick Boy is in no. Trainspotting. <laughs> really? So, no, he's not. You know, it's basically, if, if, if Ferris Buller had grown up in Scotland in a less affluent neighbourhood, he could have been Sick Boy. <laughs> really good and Cameron would have been spud I mean that's yeah. it that's... I think when you're younger you always you wanted to be Ferris you think that'd be cooler oh. uh, and then you grow up and you're thinking actually I'm Cameron now aren't I I'm, yeah, I'm we're, Cameron. All, we're all Cameron we're all Cameron we're all Cameron, we're yeah. all Cameron. <laughs> would you have so you're going to set the sequel now right yes so it's got Matthew Broderick definitely yep. back as Ferris. Yeah. Would you yep. have him breaking the four four as well, or would you oh. let Ferris Bueller oh. Junior just do the four four break it? You know that is a fantastic question. That is a very because I oh that's interesting. Part of me says no. It would have to be Matthew Broderick because again, like like Train Spot and Two did, I would like to see callbacks 
I'd like mm. to see references. Uh, I'd like to see him in the shower again, yeah. uh, uh, you know, doing that singing thing. I'd like to see updates of the lines that he said. That would be fascinating. But at the same time, I think it would be quite clever to have his son break in the fourth ball to show how he, it's not about him. I had to show that that connection you know, isn't there anyway. He's outside of the action. And that's what I'd like about the sequel is what does a guy like Ferris Bueller, who I'm assuming in the sequel that Ferris Bueller has a boring job, right? He's not a, he's not like a cool fucking rock in star. In computers still, though. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I'd like to see how he, the whole movie is about how he deals with his kid. And it could go one of either two ways. It could be that um, either, you know, he lets his kid know through his own experience, no, listen, sometimes you have to behave, which is unlikely. It's probably going to end up that his kid will help grown-up Ferris discover what fun is again, and they'll end up on a parade, <laughs> both of them doing a duet. You know? So, um, I mean, maybe it's both. Maybe that's what's said. Maybe it's you've got a nice contrast between, and you can you could see how you could get some nice cuts between you know, grown up Ferris saying something breaking the fourth wall, and then it cuts to his son saying something that completely undermines it mm, and yeah. actually makes grown up Ferris look like a bit of a dick. Maybe grown up Ferris is still trying to be, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe grown up Ferris is still trying to be cool. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the son's more of a Cameron. It's more of a Cameron. Along. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon grown up Ferris is also having a skipping a day at work as well. Mm. Yeah, that's it. That's they kind maybe, of, this... maybe they bump, they nearly bump into each other a few times and stuff like, like Ferris and his dad do in this movie. Yeah, there's those moments yeah. when they nearly, the whole thing nearly that's great, explodes. Yeah. Gosh, it's really, this is this is even more brilliant a sequel than I even could have dreamed of now. What you guys are saying? I like the bit in in the first one where it, where Cameron and and Ferris's girlfriend are, are talking while he's 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 dancing on the float, and they say, "Oh, they're talking about what they're going to do later, what they're going to be," oh, yeah. and they're like, "What's Ferris going to be?" And they're like, "Fry cook at McDonald's." <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think he he got married to Sloane, and I think yeah. now they're divorced. Yeah. yeah I, I don't yeah. think he would have be able to keep that going. No, for, no, for no. And I, th- I think that that's all, that would obviously be something in the sequel. I think that the you know the the they would end up getting back together because maybe it's the son taking the day off and they're gonna find him. And so there would definitely be definitely something I, I, that we'd, they would get back together at the end. Yeah. But where's what's Cameron? What's Cameron doing in the sequel? I've I've got this this weird idea that have you seen Succession? That Succession is actually the sequel to Ferris Bueller, <laughs> but for Cameron. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, he could just be a hub on these. Give me this new age guy. <laughs> that would be new age, incredibly rich guy. That yeah, would be quite, whose yeah, da- be whose dad friend. hates him for smashing his Ferrari. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, the Brian Cox character is that dad. Yeah. yeah. That's a, good, that's a great theory. That's a great idea. It's right in itself, isn't it? You have to have those, those legacy characters back. You have to have Alan Ruck comes Cameron. I can't remember who the girl is. I can't remember her name. Sloane. Um, yeah. It's got Mia Sarah. Oh yeah, Mia Sarah. And um and also uh, uh Baby from Dirty Dancing as well. Yeah. Has, uh, oh that's right, sister, yes. Uh, yes. Jennifer Grey. She'll have to be in it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I love just Jennifer Grey. Just in, this in a movie. phone call maybe. 
for some advice. Jennifer, yeah. Yeah, I think Jennifer Grace, uh, Jennifer Grace is brilliant because again, it's that thing that the older you get, the more you relate to Jennifer Grace character more mm. than anyone else because it would be so fucking irritating to have a brother. That's <laughs> and, and obviously yeah, we can get Charlie that. Sheen back. <laughs> yeah, because Charlie Sheen now looks like Charlie Sheen in that movie. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where they, make, they put the makeup on him to make him look drugged up. That's that's Charlie Sheen now. <laughs> that is him now. <laughs> did you know they made a TV series of Ferris Bueller in the 90s? For like, did they? I did not, no. For like a season. Uh, I was looking at it today because I was typing it into IMDb and it yeah. popped up. I was like, amazing. And Jennifer Anderson is in it for 13 episodes and she plays the sister. So it's none oh, of the original cast okay. come back. Oh. And is it, so it's the same, is it the same idea that he's, he's like a bit of a scamp and he's, he's having days off and everything? Is it that, presumably it's that same kind of... Here's the, the bio. Based on the popular feature film, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, this half-hour situation comedy followed the high school ventures of Ferris Bueller and his friends. So they recast everyone. And the guy who yeah. plays Ferris looks like he's about 30 in the picture, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but, some, but some of those people in those Brat Pack movies were 30 when they were playing kids. That yeah. was definitely like, <laughs> inspired by Stalker Channing in Greece. I think that the casting went a little bit crazy with, yeah, yeah. Uh, with high school age uh, characters at that time. Broderick's so good in Ferris, though. He's like, it's just that part is amazing. He's so natural mm. as him. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's why you like him in spite of him and being, as you said, a quite horrible character because he just that charisma. You know, yeah. we, we all we all know people. We all know people like that who, you know, are irritating and on, but they're just they're the funniest guy in the room. They're the smartest mm. guy in the room. They're the most charismatic, and and that that makes them them likable. And it's incredible. It's a really, you know, I'm, I'm not sure actually how old he was when he played that, guy, but it is. It's a very, you know, he, he plays it in such a knowing way that he plays it almost like he's 40 and he knows, and he knows everything. Yeah. I know. And he just, and that incredible, um, he has just, it's almost like a perfectly, I mean, obviously all the people in this Brat Pack movies were just, you know, they were the most beautiful fucking people that I'd seen in cinema. But there was something about Matthew brought it. What it was, he had a flawless face. Mm-hmm. It was like I'm sure it was completely symmetrical. You could fold it in half, fold it in quarters, and everything. Yeah, yeah. It was just completely. <laughs> Per- absolutely perfect because even you know like your Andrew McCarthy's and your Judd Nelson's and that were good looking but not in a remotely perfect way yeah you know Molly Ringwald was beautiful in the most unconventional way but Matthew Broderick was just like it was like it was like a Tom Cruise kind of look you know, that Tom Cruise kind of face you know mm. yeah absolutely so when did you first see Ferris were you when was it released did you go and sit in cinema um, yes, I would have seen all of them on cinema. I saw all of them on video. I had them all on video because I actually wrote uh, one of my theses at Bristol University on the Brat Pack movies of John Hughes. So mm-hmm. I watched them continuously. I watched and rewatched and rewatched and rewatched them uh, multiple times. And uh, and I still think that they are. Um, it's it's interesting because when TV shows like uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Dawson's Creek. Uh, came along and people oh this is just great isn't it amazing having these you know kids talk with this amazing dialogue and i'm like well you know kind of think john hughes has done all that Mm. actually that you know characters who were able to express their inner angst and uh and i think in terms of like in terms of giant performances the one you know everyone talks about judd nelson uh in in the breakfast club but i think that um uh, ducky in pretty in pink um what's his name again uh john cryer john cryer is an enormous, huge, gigantic, charismatic performance. It's probably the one up there with Ferris Bueller in terms of just an absolutely dominating, charismatic performance. Yeah, 
because a lot of John Hughes films haven't, you've watched them all, haven't aged brilliantly. Like there's points of uh, 16 Candles, isn't it? Yeah. That's a bit iffy and, you know, yeah. the Asian yeah. stuff. Ferris yeah. Bueller's, I think, got away with it. There's not mm. much in there that you can't think that's a bit iffy nowadays. Yeah, but again, I'm, I'm you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm not, not want to come across, you know, I don't want to be Matt Letizia here in any way, shape or form, no. uh, you know, or, 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 or get all talk radio. But I think it is, um, I think it's a debate that to be had that whether, you know, movies back then that have things that are unpalatable today yeah. should be edited or have things cut out or whether they should be viewed as things of their time and yeah. judged the rights and wrongs in terms of today and back then. I just, um, uh, I was talking recently uh, on, a, on a 90s podcast about true romance and about how that was uh, my favourite movie um, uh, of the 90s. But so good. That scene between Dennis Hopper and... Um, Christopher Walken, I'm with Christopher you. Walken, yes. Um, which was the most powerful scene, one of the most powerful scenes ever. It's very problematic with the language and everything like that they uses, but it's like, no, but that's that character. And this is where I kind of get a little bit confused. And this is where I, I do genuinely have to speak to my children, especially my daughters who are both wonderfully grown up and wonderfully yeah, yeah. woke and have, have, have educated me in the ways of, of mm. the world today. And rightly so. And I just hope to hell they never see Games Master on YouTube. Um, <laughs> and um, so I, I do often, I ask them, you know, how should I behave with this? And I think that's okay because this is their, this is their time. This is their generation. This is their, yeah. their thing. Yeah. But I'm not in so much of a rush to, you know, it would be like saying, okay, there's a movie about Genghis Khan and he, you know, he murders lots of people and that's bad. So we'll cut it out. Or, you know what it's like, we know Hitler was, Hitler was a wrong one. Hitler was mm. bad. But would you take a movie that has Hitler in with him espousing his horrific, repugnant views on Jewish people? And would you cut that out? Well, no, you wouldn't because it wouldn't make any sense. You wouldn't be able to judge Hitler, mm. you know, as the vile monster that he was. So it's, uh, um, I think it's quite, it gets quite complex and, and, conf and a bit, I find it a bit confusing. Yeah, I think I agree with you actually. I think that if you, if you, if you, if you destroy what's happened in the past, then how do you learn from it in the future, I guess? And there's a difference. That's a between... much better way of putting it than my <laughs> rambling way. Thank you, Rich. Yes, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> there's a difference between like the people pulling down statues of slave traders in Bristol. I completely get that because don't yeah. celebrate that. That's ridiculous. Yes. But don't yeah. ignore that it happened because that's worse yeah. Yeah. because you're yeah. doomed to repeat it if you do. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, I completely, I completely understand and completely get where you're coming from. I, I totally agree. Like, Yes, John, there are John Hughes movies that are problematic and turned out that maybe he was slightly problematic himself as a person. We don't know. We weren't yeah. there. We can't judge. But, yeah. you know, it's a, there are some rumours about that. Because but... isn't it better, maybe, and, well, maybe this is a dodgy thing, isn't it better to watch an old movie and see a joke that you think is racist and learn from that than not having seen it at all yeah i think so you know again i think yeah, i made yeah. exactly the same point that you just made rich better and i've just tried to repeat it and again it's come out clumsy i think if no, you want right. you're right just put a warning maybe at the beginning of the start of the film don't yeah. edit anything out just say yes. there might be some subject some people will find offensive but yeah, this was a definitely. piece of its time do you know what exactly exactly and, and why why not because you get that warning 
about language and and sexual scenes and um and my favorite um occasional drug use like that comes up <laughs> and smoking as well sometimes yeah, yeah. so yeah why not just simply add to that and views of their time that you know we're not we're not great exactly yeah, definitely i've got i've got one final question mm, yeah. um, sadly john hughes is not around anymore won't be the writer won't be the director of the sequel is there anyone you'd think be able to pick up the mantle and do that job i'm currently in my head got no one so good luck <laughs> uh it's difficult because the the teen comedy movie genre is not one i tend to go to <laughs> these days i'm not au fait with who is no, on it i mean listen there was a time i would have said josh whedon but you know probably <laughs> problematic people yeah, yeah, um, yeah i'm not sure you'd find any teenagers willing to work with him these no. days um you know i i no, you know, I think of British directors like you know who've done comedy stuff like Mike Newell or whatever, but it's not, it's not right. Um, there, there must, you know, there must be, there must be oh, tons of people in TV that are doing TV. Uh, do you know mm. what? Whoever was responsible, because I, I did, I, I managed to to uh, to watch by osmosis an incredible generation of of American kids TV comedies. And, um, you know, uh, The Witches of Willoughby Place. And there was that whole thing that my kids watched and they were fantastic sitcoms. So I would say someone who directed one of those great Nickelodeon teen kids comedies could probably yeah. do something like that. That's a very vague answer. Like Laurie Nunn, who did Sex Education. You know, you've seen that um, yep. Netflix show. That's, yep. yeah. That, no, do, that you know, was... do you know what's interesting? Right. See, I haven't seen that. And I'll tell you why. This is the, so my kids now are uh, 16, 17 and 20, 23. I'm whispering because I, I've got a bad track record of, of getting my kids' ages wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the one that could be 23 is in the house and she might be 24. <laughs> anyway, so, um, but, um, so they have all watched that show and I know that it's, it's obviously it has sexual content and and i just i i can't i don't want to be in the position of of like i overhear my kids talking about it and it's just like la 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 i can't hear you <laughs> so it's really yeah it's kind of put me off a, a little bit uh, yeah. about that i'm still that dad that's really embarrassed about you know sexual and you know like this whole thing about how embarrassing it used to be when you're watching a movie with your parents your and parents the sex yeah, it's, yeah. The, it's the i now know no it's the parents that are the most embarrassed it wasn't you as a kid because i will <laughs> leave the room i yeah, will leave you? the room you know I've, I've got a friend who went to uh the cinema with his then girlfriend to a film called nine songs have you ever seen that film no, no. basically it's they didn't know this it's just just a couple fucking through nine songs <laughs> I mean, I guess, you know, you can't about, complain about the title. So about an hour and a half, he's just like, this is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> Why don't you just put on iTunes and watch Pornhub? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, that's great. Brilliant. <laughs> Why would you even go? I find I always find that really interesting now is... Is 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 this the, the whole raison d'etre behind sexually explicit, like you know, cinematic release movies? Now it's like because I know that you know there was a stage when we were younger and you would go, you know, you'd mm. go, you'd watch The Hunger because you're like, oh yeah, I've heard about that scene. Yeah. It? But now, now we spend most of our life avoiding pornographic <laughs> images. Anytime I, you know, I turn on the internet and try and find a feed of a football game, and I get, you know. Carla, 18, around the corner in Calgary is trying well, to mess. It, it happens to our MPs as well. They're looking for tractors. 
<laughs> Quite easy to do, apparently. <laughs> That's true. Fucking yes. idiots. <laughs> And those were Dominic Diamond's unequal sequels. I cannot believe that we got Dominic Diamond on our podcast. Twelve <laughs> year old Rich is peeing himself right now. Like <laughs> with so general happy. excitement. And he was so good. He was so good. So, so funny. Yeah, absolutely. Incredibly funny. Incredibly passionate. charming. Passionate about his movies. And just a wonderful person to talk to. I loved that. I really, really, I can't like say enough how much I enjoyed recording that episode. Yeah, it's it's one of my favourites, I think. Yeah. All of them are my favourites, obviously, everyone who's listened obviously. and who's been on the show. We don't have favourites, you know. No, but that was... That was brilliant. That was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and his picks. I love that we finally got someone's best sequel yeah that was also someone's worst sequel i know right so that was a first that was nice that was nice and i actually kind of weirdly agree with both of them <laughs> in lots of ways <laughs> like i definitely agree that it's not a great film but i don't think it's a terror i think there are good bits of it i don't know i know yeah it's yeah but i love the way he could relate to it that's what makes yeah, movies so special that's it. you know that's exactly it yeah you know it meant something different to him than it did to layla who had it as her worst sequel yeah yeah and um train spotting too yeah it's it's an interesting sequel and because when i was talking to layla about it, i was like oh yeah this is rubbish and then i sp- spoke to dominic and he's like i was like oh yeah this is a good sequel <laughs> so i have no idea where i lie on it anymore yeah because they, they put so good arguments up for him like oh no this is, this yeah, does yeah. make sense now. you're right you're right yeah i think when i watched train spotting 2 i didn't hate it but i certainly didn't love it like it's that kind of it's that kind of movie, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. Like you yeah. could be convinced either way. Yeah. And yeah, so um, finally got you to watch a John Wick movie. You did, yeah. So yeah, I've watched two John Wick movies now because I watched the first one as well. Uh, but yeah, John Wick two, I completely again understand where he's coming from on that. It is very much more of the same with the first one, isn't it? Yeah. There's nothing really new. They try to sort but... of. I get it. like I said in the episode. I get confused. What is what? And now? I think that says a lot, doesn't it? Really, if you get confused about what happens in which ep- in which in which movie, yeah. they're probably quite samey. He's probably wearing a suit. He's probably shooting someone in the leg and then the face. Yes, yeah, and then throwing the gun at them. And that yeah. could be one, two, or three, or possibly four. I when seen, you're listening, I haven't to this. seen three yet. So yeah, I'll have to. Well, I won't watch three before four comes out, and then we'll do a review of four yeah. in the extra episodes. That sounds like a good plan. Yeah, and then we got to uh watch a classic an absolute classic ferris bueller what a twat (laughs) (laughs) it's funny how you take how you like your perception of movies change though right like yeah yeah yeah. when i was a kid ferris bueller was incredibly cool and now as an adult i watch him i'm like oh you little shits like you are not a nice person yeah yeah that's it now we're all Camerons. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm surprised there's never been a sequel. Like I said, there has been a, a TV series spin-off that yeah. was doomed to fail straight from the start when you have none of the original cast in it. I still maintain that uh, that Succession is a sequel to Ferris Bueller, but for Cameron. <laughs> I think that's a good theory. I haven't watched enough Succession, succession to... Um, <laughs> To quote, no, that's talk fair. about it. That's fair enough. But great choice, and some great ideas for kind of what the dream sequel would be as well. Like, Absolutely, yeah, loved it. Uh, and just talking to Dominic, man, <sighs> just 
just i mean i don't anyone who wasn't around in the 90s you just you won't understand how how much of a big deal this was for me and dave like yeah because as soon as he said yes we couldn't believe yeah there were there are iconic things from games master that i will never ever forget like i mean he was the king of innu of dodgy innuendos in games master wasn't it wasn't he yeah. and you know the uh holding up a carrot and two brussels sprouts in that way and and like having they had like think people like wrestlers on, on playing games against little kids so like <laughs> hacksaw jim duggan i remember and <laughs> oh yeah i just loved it i just loved that show so much you know it was so good and he didn't disappoint not no no he really didn't disappoint at all and yeah what a guy what a guy thank you dominic for coming on, on our little podcast we should also do a bit of promoting for him, actually, because he was good enough to Absolutely. come on our podcast. We should probably do a little promoting of uh, of his stuff. Dave, you've got it all written down, haven't you? But the thing that sticks in my mind is his, his little old purple column, which is yes, where he writes about... Substack. Yeah, he writes about games, but for adults. So Which we now are. Yeah, Rich. we are now. Yeah, that's true. I'm not so much of a gamer these days, though, but I am an adult, apparently, so <laughs> it might appeal. Who knows? But you know, but you've also got a kid that's playing games. That's true. It's very true. So it is yeah. also relevant to you. Yeah, he's a Substack. Find him on there. Uh, Dominic's little old purple column because he used to write another column back in the day called something very similar. Yeah. You, there's a free stuff. You can either read it or he has a podcast or there is some stuff behind a paywall if you really love Dominic. But yeah, definitely get onto Substack and definitely get behind that paywall as well. I'm sure it's, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, out every Thursday. Every Thursday. That's a good yeah. day. That's a good day. There aren't many po- there aren't many things released on a Thursday. Thursday's no. a bit of a down day. So, yeah. yeah, that's a good day to get things out. I like it. So make sure you go and listen to that on a Thursday, his bits of podcast and read his stuff. But then you've got us on a Friday and on a Monday. So if you liked what you've heard, if you've tuned in just to hear Dominic, which is fair because the man's a hero legend then we do all we've got loads of other interviews with loads of other cool people and you can catch those every monday when we're in when we're doing our series and we're, we're past the middle of series three now dave mate we're nearly done we've nearly done series three this is crazy <sighs> scary i can't believe it uh, but yeah so what it means is you've got a whole other two series if you've only just joined us for this one two, a whole two other series to go back and listen to and also every week even if we're not doing a series me and Dave do a little extra episode it's normally about half an hour 40 minutes on a Friday just a little snippet about whatever's going on in the world of sequels really so make sure you listen to those hit that little subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts from and we'll drop into your inbox every 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 week maybe even twice a week so yeah make sure you do that if you like what you've heard then give us a little rating give us five stars or a heart or a tick or write us a review you know that's fine you can tell us we're rubbish just give us a five five star review as well that, that would mm-hmm. we're fine with that uh tell your friends about us please because you know that's that's what really matters you know if you think of so if you've thought of someone who would really like to listen to a movie podcast tell them about it you know tell your nan tell anyone you like we'd love to have them listen along but also, you can get in touch with us too, because we're on Twitter and Instagram and all those social media things. We're at Unequal Sequel. I say all those social media things, just those two. I'd say we're, not. <laughs> we're at Unequal Sequel. And we also have a Hotmail account as well, if you want to send us an email for some reason. It's unequalsequel at hotmail.com. 
again you smashed it mate well done i can't believe i talked for that long it's the most i've talked in ages you can now go back <laughs> in your box for a while uh yeah thank you for everyone for listening to us this week really appreciate it thank you for the people who have said kind words about us yeah. this week that was very unexpected and thank you thank you thank you it was we should probably say probably mention a couple of the people that have sent us messages maybe we had a message about our recent star wars episode just to point out that uh, where we said that george lucas could do could do romance he did it in empire strikes back and return of the jedi turns out he had other writers i didn't even realize i knew he had a different director but i didn't know he had other writers to no, write so it's even worse than we thought so yeah basically. maybe he that can't. was from tom brooks thank you for that and then thank you for scott wallace from a, a nice message that just said he wishes we were in another lockdown so we could go back and listen to all the other episodes and watch all the films the good and the shit yeah that's so, true there are a lot thank there you thank you lot. thank you <laughs> yeah thanks guys we love the messages i've got nothing else to say apart from thank you again so it is a <sighs> i'm trying to think what goodbye in japanese is but i have no idea uh all i know is konnichiwa and that that's hello that's i think goodbye, isn't it yep so we're just gonna go out and i know Arigato, but that's thank you <laughs> Okay, just bye. Bye. <laughs> it's a bye from me and a bye from from him. Bye. You guys have a great week. Okay? Bye.